friends. Hello. Hello. Glad that you're here tonight. Um, it is a real treat. I met some of you who are visiting for the first time. So welcome to Element City Church. And we are uh, a church that really has a passion to kind of help people in their spiritual journeys into first steps and into next steps with Jesus. And we just want to welcome you. And like Brian mentioned earlier, we have a free gift for you if that's you. Uh, we'd love just to say thanks for coming and being a part of this. We'd love to invite you to kind of end your weekend and jumpstart your week with us on a regular basis. So uh, look at your neighbor, say hi. Even if you don't know him, because you're going to talk to him in just a second. So we've been in this series on baggage and kind of looking at the reality that we, we know baggage when it comes to traveling, right? How many of you traveled? You've packed a bag. Some of you are like, I wear the same clothes for a week. Go, don't raise your hand. Um, but we know this. How many of you have ever lost baggage on a trip? Okay. Maybe it was something you forgot. Maybe it's something where you, you kind of checked in, you handed your bag over to the nice lady or to the nice guy there at Southwest or wherever it happened to be, and you watched your bag go down into the terminal and it rounded the corner, right? And you're like, how do they know where I'm going? Have you ever asked yourself that? Like, here's just a freebie. When you're standing there next time and you've paid your $50 to actually check your bag, just ask yourself, how do they know? that that bag goes with me to Iowa. And how does it get there? They have all these tracking systems, but maybe you've lost your luggage, right? How many of you have a grumble story of what you've lost your luggage, okay? Here's the deal, I want you to turn to your neighbors, two, two or three people right around you, and say, I lost a bag, and just tell them what trip it was, or maybe what color the luggage was, or just how much luggage did you lose, what was the hassle? You only got 30 seconds, okay? So talk to someone right around you. How did you lose a bag? What was the story behind it? You've never lost luggage? That's impressive. <laughs> All right, we got a couple of people that say they've never lost luggage. Everyone look at them and go, boo. <laughs> yeah, because it is a troubling story. I remember going overseas, I told you before, with this large group of people and, and finding out like three or four bags not showing up. Which, you know, when you get across the pond and you're halfway around the world, it's a big deal, especially when it's girls' luggage. And they're like, my clothes. Like, that's a big deal. I get it. I totally get it. And they had to share clothes. We had to do laundry every day to kind of help with that. It was horrible. And, like, for them, it was just a struggle. And they finally found it, like, a week later. And they got it about three days before we left to come home. So um, it was just, uh, it, we, we understand that. In fact, I, I threw out some of these last week. How many of you are traveling this summer? You'd like a luggage tag? Just a fun one. Maybe, okay. That didn't go anywhere. Okay, whoever wants to grab that. All right, there you go. Oh, that went too far. Okay, close. Okay, man, I almost hit you. Okay, now I have two fun ones. This is an octopus. Anybody wants that? Okay, going around the pole. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, and another mustache. Come on, you gotta love the mustache. This is the most popular one, I'm just gonna tell you. It's the most popular one. Only because I like to throw it. Kind of. I think I just severed your arm, sorry. Um, but we have just incredible things, and I hope you have a lot of fun traveling this summer that you get to do it. And we understand baggage when it comes to traveling. 
But we also know the reality that baggage is a part of just life in general. Maybe it's the baggage of just things that we suffer when we suffer a loss, things that we, we face rejection in those moments. Face, maybe it's relational luggage and, and kind of this baggage that we pick up along the way. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. But just to kind of catch you up a little bit on some of you, we had this, this notion. We said, look, baggage is a reality of life. You will pick it up as you travel. But the very first week we said... As you acquire that, thanks to the grace of Jesus, you are not required to carry it around. That's the beauty of understanding this baggage of what the Bible has to say about it, how to unpack and how to release some of that stuff that it doesn't have to own you. You don't have to carry it around. You don't have to bedazzle it. You don't have to just make it camouflage and fit in with your life. You don't have to have people go, wow, that person's got issues, right? That person has baggage. And we kind of say that to others, but we never really sometimes recognize it within ourselves. And the truth is, you will acquire it, but friends, thanks to the grace of Jesus, you are not required to carry it. Remember the very first week we did this exercise. In fact, you have a baggage tag on your seat or on the table in front of you. And we said, this is a good, healthy pattern to get in. We said, this is about, this is about living free and traveling light in life. And we had a pattern. We said there's these three key things that we're to do to make a pattern of our life and how to aim our life toward health in all aspects. Doesn't mean we're not going to face hardship. Doesn't mean we're not going to have trouble. We will. And we will acquire baggage. But we're not required to keep it and to hang on to it. We can actually begin to let that go. And we have three phrases. Remember we said name it. You've got to name it, what your baggage is. You've got to know it. You've got to name it. You've got to bring it. You've got to bring it to Jesus because he's the one that's saying, I mean, remember we looked at this verse in Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11, we said this is kind of the theme verse for this whole series. Jesus is looking at this crowd, these people that are heavily burdened, and he says to them, come to me, all of you who are weary and tired, and I will give you rest. And here's what we know. When we carry baggage in life, we get tired. And Jesus is saying, bring that to me. So name it, bring it, and leave it. You've got to get to the place where you begin to leave that. Now, that is not always easy, is it? And oftentimes we will leave it and we think we've left it with God and then something happens, something transpires and we, we end up going and picking it back up again. And so this pattern is name it, bring it, leave it. And so if you want to write on your baggage tag, maybe stick it in your Bible, maybe put it on your dresser this summer, just name it, bring it, leave it. And write Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. And this summer, just kind of let that simmer in your mind and let it simmer in your heart and say, I want to be a healthy person. I might be broken and I might not be perfect, but I want to be healthy. And Jesus is always inviting people toward health and inviting people to the next steps and to things that are better. And we still looked at the second week, the idea of the, the hidden baggage that we try to hide. We looked at David. Remember, we looked at David's life and his so moment. When he has this, he commits adultery, and he has this so moment where he could have chosen a different path, but he chose the cover-up. We realize that, listen, secrets may be kept quiet for a while, but, friend, they will never be silent. And they will eat at you, and they will begin to impact your other relationships. And so this notion Jesus is inviting, the scriptures are saying, look, you don't even have to play the cover-up. God's love says you can bring your luggage, your baggage, the issues and the struggles that you have, bring it into the light. Don't play the cover-up game because it's not healthy. 
And so it's this notion of saying, we want to live free and travel light. And so tonight, I want to look at this notion of what do we do with relational baggage? Because we will acquire it, but we're not required to carry it. But you will acquire it. Here's what I know about you. You have been made relationally, and you are made for relationships. You know that to be true. You've been made relationally, and you were made to be in relationships. We have a machismo side of us, especially guys, who like to say, no, I can do life on my own. But the truth is, you really can't. You can do a lot of things on your own, and you can go a lot of places on your own, and you can really shut people out. But the truth is, on the inside, you crave to have relational connection with other people. Why? Because you were made that way. The Bible says we were made in the image of God, who is a triune God. One God, triune in nature. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. We were made within community. And we were made for community. To express that, to experience that. And we know some of the greatest treasures in life are relationships, don't we? In fact, remember uh, just a week ago when the, the twister went through Oklahoma, I found this picture uh, through some of the pictures that were thousands of pictures that were taken through there. And just look at this. The most important things in life aren't what? Aren't things. And here's this sign that survives. And it's just amazing how it's placed there. I don't know if someone placed it there for this photo op or if that's really where it was after this twister. But he here's the reality. We know that's true, don't we? I had a friend yesterday just reading on Facebook. Their whole house burns down. And what they kept talking about is, you know, at least we have each other and we're safe and we're fine and because we know the things in life yeah we, we aim a lot of energy at getting those and they're not wrong necessarily to have but sometimes they can consume so much of our energy so much of our attention deep deep down we know we were made for relationships and so relationships are key and they and are some of the greatest aspects of our journey in life and our journey with God that it's not just me and God. We're made to be in relationships. In fact, we have this value at Element City Church that no one stands alone. It's one of our deep values of our church that we say, hey, no one stands alone. Your journey, your spiritual journey is individualistic. It is about you and God. But it's not just about you and God. In fact, the Bible has so much to say that you and I have been wired to be relationally connected one to another. In fact, part of your spiritual growth and maturity will happen as you begin to live life with other people who are on that journey with you and who are helping challenge you and encourage you and to move you into next steps in your journey. We were made to be relationally connected. And so we know some of the greatest treasures of life are relational and in our relationships, but here's what we also know. The downside of that. Don't raise your hand, but think about this statement. Some of the deepest pains we have in life are relational pains, aren't they? Some of the deepest wounds, some of the deepest hurts, some of the deepest setbacks, some of the deepest rejections we face in life are relationally based, aren't they? Things that broke or things that, that went south that it shouldn't have been that way, but it went that way. And, and, and here's what we know. Some of the greatest treasures of life can be relational, but we can pick up some of the deepest baggage in life because of relationships. And we know that. And so 
as we understand this idea that we will always acquire this, let's remind ourselves tonight that you are not required to carry it. And that maybe unpacking some of that relational baggage is some of the healthiest things you can do, not only for your life. Forget whether you're a believer in Jesus or not. Even if you're just here investigating him, this is some of the healthiest things you can do for your life, let alone helping you in your spiritual journey with Jesus. And so that's what I want to get at tonight. And I want to lean back into a story uh, back in the very first book of the Bible, right toward the end. It's in Genesis chapter 50. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you have uh, your phone, you can follow along on version. Got all the stuff there for you. Um, but I want to look back at a story of a guy that you probably know. If you've been around church at all, you, you, you know this guy's story a little bit. If you haven't been around church, then I'm going to kind of fill you in a little bit. This is about Joseph. So many of you remember Joseph. Joseph was a, a great guy and had, came from a big family. He, he was a little egotistical, maybe a little narcissistic uh, as he started off because he, he was kind of the favored son. And his dad kind of played favorites. He had 11 other brothers, um, and yet he was the one that got, maybe the, the Joseph in the Technicolor coat. I don't think it was really Technicolor, but you know, they didn't plug in back then, but he got this colorful coat and, and his brothers would see him and, and things didn't go well because he kind of talked about these dreams that he had and it kind of played down in his brothers and he wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed starting off in, in, in kind of his adolescent years. As he would say things, maybe he wouldn't have the social awareness to realize that how that would set people off to talk like this, but yet he would talk like this. And pretty soon, here's what we know with Joseph his brothers get tired of hearing it. And it's more than just sibling rivalry. They actually begin to hate him. And so they take him and throw him in a well. They sell him as a prisoner. He goes off to Egypt. He, he's there as a slave. He gets bought. He's taken into Potiphar's house. He becomes someone that begins to show promise and leadership. And he begins to oversee the house. Then he's falsely accused of something. He ends up in prison. And he's there in prison. He's wasting away. And then he, he does something there with some other officials that come in. He interprets dreams for them. And they were supposed to get him out, but they forgot about him when he got out. Until later on, you can kind of read the story of Joseph. But I just want you to sense his life. Do you think Joseph understood relational baggage? Do you think he might have had some? If your brothers threw you in a well, were going to kill you, but sold you into slavery, and then you've spent most of your life in prison being falsely accused, do you think you might have some relational issues? Some baggage that maybe you need to unpack. And so we fast forward to the end of Joseph's life, okay? And that's what I want to look at tonight, the end of Joseph's life. And there's this encounter that begins to happen with his brothers. They've been reunited, and they're living there in Egypt. Joseph's father passes away. So just pick up with me in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs that we did to him? Now, here's an interesting thought. They have just spent 40, uh, 70 days mourning the loss of their, their father, okay? This was not a surprise. 
They have literally spent 70 days mourning his loss, traveled back to the land of Canaan, buried their father, and have traveled home in this giant Egyptian parade that was there. Joseph, his brothers, and all these attendants, they come back, and then the text says, then the brothers realized, they saw that their father was dead. Well, they saw their father was dead? No, no, what it means literally in Hebrew is this, they had a sudden realization that daddy who was the glue, who held it all together, was not there any longer. And you wonder what began to go through their mind. Oh, crud. Dad's not here to fix it. Dad's not here to be a referee. Dad's not here to run interference anymore. And maybe, uh uh-oh, maybe Joseph has been waiting for this moment. How many of you have siblings? How many of you remember sibling rivalries? When you wanted to get back at your brother or sister, and what would you do? You would wait around the corner, right? And you would hear them coming. And you would wait very stealthily, very quietly. And you would wait until the right moment when you would pounce, right? And you would either beat them up or you'd start yelling at them or whatever. This is like a hundred times that. Just think about what they're feeling. We tried to kill our brother. We've sold him into slavery. We told our dad he was dead. And then he finds us, and he's the one in charge. We come begging for food. Somehow we've been reconciled, maybe. But in their mind, they have all this relational baggage that they've never dealt with. Do you realize throughout the whole story of Joseph, his brothers never apologize? That's huge. You know why that's huge? Because most of us, when we deal with relational baggage and we're holding something against someone else, what we're waiting for is an apology, right? And what's fascinating about this text is we get an insight into Joseph that I think is revolutionary because I think it's healthy. And I want us to see that because here's what it goes on. They say to Joseph, okay, well, man, dad's, dad's dead. He's no longer here. So they write to him. They say, and they sent word to Joseph, verse 16, saying, your father left these instructions before he died. So I don't know if they're making up this note, saying, uh, yeah, this is what dad said uh, before he died. It's been a long time since it happened. Uh, this is what you're to say to him. So your father left these instructions. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins of the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. What's fascinating is that this message gets translated to Joseph. He's back in his palace. His brothers are somewhere else. They're freaking out. They're sending this message. He gets it, and he weeps. Why? He's processed a lot of this for months and for years. He's had 70-plus days of mourning his dad's loss, beginning thinking through all this, and he weeps, maybe because he never gets the apology that he's waited for. An apology that he deserves. And he's never received it and still doesn't hear. What they're saying is, look, dad, dad said, 
Dad said you're supposed to take it easy on us, and he weeps. Relational baggage is painful, friends. And no matter how logically we understand that statement, here's the truth. Relational baggage is often more painful than we even realize. And we may put up a denial act of, oh, that didn't hurt. That's not that big a deal. And we kind of play the machismo card and we kind of push it off. And maybe we just kind of distance ourselves from people a little bit. And we kind of put maybe a little buffer zone and we say, well, that didn't hurt. We go back to the whole adage of sticks and stones don't break, you know, will break my bones or words will never hurt me. It's not a big deal. We kind of put up a denial wall. But the truth is relational pain is actually more hurtful than maybe we even let ourselves onto and admit And so sometimes we go into a defensive mode. Sometimes we go into denial. And God doesn't want you to pretend with your relational baggage. That's not his heart. His heart is not to say, hey, my grace is big enough, so just get over it. His grace can pull you through it. But he's saying to you, you don't have to pretend that it didn't hurt. Joseph wept. Why? Because he was hurting. And he's allowed to. Who else do we know that we follow that wept? One of the smallest, shortest verses in the Bible. Jesus wept. It's okay to let pain be a part of your life. And it's okay to let that mourning begin to take place. And to begin to mourn that loss. I remember uh, in ministry, I'll share a story. Probably happened maybe uh, a few years ago. And... The general uh, feeling of it is in leadership, sometimes you have to make decisions that that don't always please everybody. And uh, in doing that, I know uh, I had a a couple leaders that were working with me that didn't like some of the decisions and the directions of where we were going with some stuff. And I met with them and kind of heard their concerns. We prayed through it. We kind of talked about it. And I remember it kind of coming to a head where it just, we weren't going to get around a corner. And I remember going to one of the areas that they oversaw, and it was with students, and I remember going to their house, and I remember sitting in a chair while they talked to students that they were in charge of, and they were great at it. But I remember, do you ever, have you ever been in a moment where you were thrown under the bus, and you knew it, and it was happening right then, and you couldn't stop it? That was that. And I remember having another meeting with uh, several groups, and I remember sitting in a chair, friends, when, when 80 people in a, in a room just calling into question parts of my character and who I was. And I just, I remember sitting there and just taking it. And I can tell you, that was one of the hardest moments of my whole life because it hurt. It hurt to have people question your integrity or to question your motives or to question where you were trying to lead. And, and here I am trying to lead underneath the leadership of the people above me and trying to move things and, and, and making decisions that I knew would be best for us long term, but might be a little hurtful in the short term. And I remember listening for an hour and a half to that conversation and finally having my 10 minutes. And I, I wasn't angry and I'm just trying to love people well and said, this is what we're doing. This is where we're going. And I'd love to go there with you because I need you and I want you. And I remember thinking back over the years, and here's what happened. is some of those leaders, I would see them at the grocery store. You ever had this happen? When you're at the grocery store and you see them down the aisle, and what do you do? You go down the next aisle, right? 
I remember seeing them across the campus, and um, the, I'd hear their voice. And you know what I'd do? I would turn and go the other way. And, and it was like that for a while until God began to get a hold of my heart and say, hey, um, you're in a prison, and you put yourself there. And you have the key. So how long are you going to stay there? And I remember God and I having this conversation and talking with a few other people. I told you last week, healthy people seek out counsel. Unhealthy people bury it. That's the truth. And I remember processing with some people and realizing I needed to go make this right. I needed to do my part to own it. And I remember going to that man and having a conversation and things changed. I still see him in leadership and he's doing great things across our city in another organization and, and I pray for him. My mom told me, pray for your enemies. Remember Jesus talked about that? It isn't so much that your enemies change, it's so that your heart changes. And I learned that lesson through that whole ordeal and it was, it was tragic like for me. And here's what I began to, to see and began to, to realize. In life, we all have what I'm going to call an emotional cup. And I've taught about this before, probably not here yet. We all have an emotional cup in life. And when you get hurt, things happen to you. Your life, your emotional cup gets filled up a little bit. And if you don't deal with that hurt, you know what begins to happen? It begins to fester inside of you. It becomes discouragement becomes maybe rejection, maybe disapproval, maybe gets turns into anger. <laughs> Anyone here ever been angry? <laughs> if you've ever been angry, I'm going to tell you something. Here's the truth. It's because you're hurt. It's not just because you're angry. See, somewhere in there, down at the bottom is a hurt. And if you don't deal with the hurt, well, then it just begins to turn inside of you and more and more and more, and pretty soon it just starts spilling over onto other people. Do you know people like that? Have you ever been there? And see, what the Bible would say is you got to deal with that. you got to deal with it. Otherwise, it's just baggage that you keep carrying, you keep pulling around with you. And you can decorate it all you want. And you can bedazzle it all you want. But it begins to affect other people and it drastically begins to impact you. And so all throughout the scripture, remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are those who mourn. Why? Because they will be comforted. So this notion of mourning and comforting, which I don't have time to unpack tonight, but maybe we'll come back to that sometime. It begins to, it begins to deal with that emotional cup. This is one of the illustrations I use when I do marriage counseling because this is huge in marriage. It's huge that you begin to understand that each of you has this emotional cup and the only way to deal with hurt is to mourn the hurt, to be able to comfort one another. That's not a pep talk of how to overcome it. It's, just middle, it's literally being in the middle saying, I'm here with you and I'll mourn with you. Tell me how bad that hurt and let me just be in the moment with you. That's how you mourn with someone. And all throughout the scripture, here's what you begin to see, that that is a big deal. Relational baggage can be released. It can be released. It's possible. 
it's probable if you want to walk toward health and if you want to, to live free and to travel light. And so you begin to see this, and even in Joseph's life, we'll get back to it in a minute, you have to release. I was, one of my favorite stories that I remember was about a year ago, right? So we're up at the state playoffs, my son's baseball team, and there's this little one-and-a-half-year-old boy who is walking around the dugout, right? And he reaches his hand, because his hand's small enough to go into the dugout, and he sees a baseball, and he grabs it. And he's so excited about this baseball. And he has it, he's got a firm grip on it, and he's trying to pull his arm back through the chain link fence. But it's not happening. And so he just continues to pull, and he's getting more and more frustrated, more and more angry. And you know how a one and a half year old can yell. And this boy begins to yell loud enough that everyone around him can see. And all of the adults who are standing around saying, you've got to let go of the ball. You want the freedom. You want freedom. That's what you're wanting. That's what you're crying for now because now you feel stuck. And Well, you've got to release the ball. And he's not wanting that. He's wanting to hold on to it. And here's the truth. The only way he got free was to release it. Relational baggage is like that. You have to learn to release it. You have to learn to let go, to mourn in comfort, and to come to a God who says, I know what pain is. I know what rejection is. I know what loss is. I know what hurt is. I know what abandonment is. I know all those relational triggers that happen that you bump into, that you begin to acquire in life. Jesus says, I know I've been there, and I got the T-shirt. I know and you have to learn to release. Maybe that's that part of that pattern. Name it, bring it, leave it. You've got to be able to release it. In Matthew chapter 18, um, you can look at it later. Remember, Peter comes to Jesus and he says, how, how often am I supposed to forgive? What's the, what's the number? And Jesus says, look, uh, Peter, you're, you're trying to keep score. That's what you're doing. And he tells that story of the, the guy who owes like $20 million to this landowner, to this king. And the king says, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to release you. I'm going to forgive you of that debt. But yet he goes out and he beats up a guy that owes him $300. And he throws him in jail and says, why don't you pay me? And some servants see that and they tell. And Jesus tells this whole story. And then he gets to this question in Matthew 18. He says, shouldn't you have been more like the master who forgave you? And what we see in Scripture is this call that as we've been forgiven, we are to forgive. And that's easy to write on a piece of paper. And that's easy to talk about. And that is one different thing to actually do, to forgive a debt. See, to forgive means you release. You've got to release, and you're the only one that can control that whether that other person gives an apology or not, you are the one that has control over what you release and what you let go. Does that mean you have to be chummy, chummy, buddy, buddy with everybody? No. Does that mean you can't set up boundaries and and parameters that kind of help protect you? Yes, you can, and you should. That's healthy. But you've got to get to the place where you begin to release. I love uh, Thomas Chalmers says this, unforgiveness is the poison we drink hoping another will die. Or Maya Angelou who says, bitterness is like a cancer. It eats upon the host. 
in order to have healthy relationships, we have to learn to release and to let go, to leave it with someone who's bigger and better at handling that, and that's Jesus. And so we're able to bring it to him. You look back at this story um, in, uh, actually, go to Ephesians chapter 4. Here's this, this picture here. He, Ephesians chapter 4, the end of chapter 4, it says this, get rid of all bitterness, anger and brawling, all these things. And it says, look, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God. Be imitators of him. Here's a quick English lesson. An indicative explains what is true. The indicative says this is true. This is the truth of it. An imperative is when, like, you're given a command. It's imperative that you go wash your hands, you tell your kids, after they come in from playing. It's, it's imperative that you do that. It's indicative that you know. And here's, I just want to read this verse again to you. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. See, in the Bible, the indicative is always what is our foundation. The imperative flows out of that, meaning you are forgiven. Now be forgiving. Do you see it? So the anchor is not in you being a forgiving person. The anchor is in you are forgiven. That is your state. That is the reality of who you are as a follower of Jesus. You, you are forgiven. And now as a forgiven person, let him empower you to be forgiving. And that's not always easy. That's not, that's not a, a, a... Sometimes that carries a lot of weight to it, doesn't it? to release some of that baggage that we have. What we must do is always rooted in what is true about us in Christ. We are forgiven in Christ. Now we are to be imitators of Christ, to let that flow through you. See, we pick up relational baggage in a couple different ways. One way, when we hold on to unforgiveness, I'm gonna hold on to it because I use it as a card, I use it as a badge, I use it as something I hold over someone's head. I'm gonna hold on to unforgiveness. That could have been Joseph. That could have been. But what we'll see is it wasn't. I can either hold on to unforgiveness or I can refuse to seek forgiveness. And then I begin to live with this shame and this guilt that begins to trouble me and weigh me down. And isn't that Joseph's brothers? All these years that they've been reconciled and all of a sudden dad's out of the picture and all of a sudden they see, uh-oh, and they begin to try to hatch a plan. Let's keep Joseph, let's save our lives. Let's save our skin. They never even apologize. They're just trying to hatch a plan to save themselves. And Joseph, he's worked through. What you see in the life of Joseph at the end of his life is here's a guy that figured out somewhere along the way how to deal with his relational baggage. Think about it. When did it hit him? when he was down in the, the dungeon, down in the well that they threw him into? Was it on the, the parade route and the route that they were taking to Egypt as he was handcuffed behind the chariot and being led away to slavery? Is that, can you imagine the feelings that he had as he sat there in prison, thinking the only reason I'm here, the only reason I'm here is because of these 11 brothers of mine. Do you think how, how often he must have thought about those moments and about those experiences, but somewhere along the way, Joseph found freedom in every kind of way. 
so that at the end of his life, his brothers would hatch this plan again to save their skin, and he would weep. And then we'll see his response to them. Look with me. The end of uh, chapter 50, starting in verse... um, Verse 17 or so. Remember, they hatched this plan. They said, this is what dad said. Joseph weeps. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. The guilt and all of that's been eating at them for so long, they've never figured out how to unpack their relational baggage. They've been holding on to this, and now they know it's going to be over their head, and they're coming, we're going to be your slaves, Joseph. And Joseph says these words. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what's now being set forth, what you now see. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke what? Kindly to them. That's a picture of a guy who figured it out somewhere along the way that he didn't have to hold on to unforgiveness. Bitterness did not have to be a cancer inside of him. He was able to release and let go of his relational baggage that he carried and of which he had much. Probably more than most of us in this room. And we might have a lot. But I'm sorry, if you were going to be killed, sold into slavery, put in prison wrongly, that's a lot to deal with. But somewhere along the way, he figured it out that I've got to release and I've got to lean into a God who his story is bigger than my story. And I'm going to let his story continue to pull me forward even through the bumps and bruises of my own story. And I can either, I can either get stuck here and I can let unforgiveness reign in my heart and hold on to that, or I can figure it out that, God, you actually have something better for me and you're at work behind the scenes, and I'm going to learn the best I know how to release and to let go, that we have to seek forgiveness. So here's the question of the night for you, the question of the week. Is there someone in your life that you need to seek forgiveness from or give forgiveness to? Whether they hear you or not, listen, whether they're still alive on this planet or not, this is about releasing you It's about you stepping into the grace of Jesus and saying, God, I don't know if I have the strength to do it, but the best I know how, I want to keep taking steps toward health. I want to live free and travel light. I want to be invited to what Jesus is saying. I want something better, and I want to learn to let go of this baggage that I carry. You don't want to get stuck in woe is me land. And a lot of people do. Woe is me. I can't believe that happened to me. And, and maybe you sit here and say, Jack, okay, that's really good. That's good psychological talk, blah, 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 blah. But you don't know my story. And I'd say, yeah, I, I don't. And I'd be a fool to stand up here and say, yeah, I know everything about. No, but here's the truth. You can either hold on to that. And friend, it will hold on to you. And it will pull you down and keep you stuck in life. Or you can learn like the little one and a half year old with a baseball different story, but it's all the same. You've got to learn to release in order to step toward freedom. Otherwise, you stay stuck. And Joseph figured that out. He figured it out better than his brothers. He figured it out. You can learn to trust again. 
you can learn to let go of a grudge. You can learn. You can learn to release anger and not have it rule your life. You can learn to release people from the things that they've done to hurt you so that when you see them in the store, you can actually walk down the same aisle and have a conversation. You can learn that. You can heal by his grace. You can find peace again. How do I know that? I've tasted that a little bit. How do I know that? Jesus says so. He modeled it. He said, this is available, it's possible, and I will help you get there. There is no, listen, there is no relational baggage that is beyond the reach of the redeeming power of God, period. There's not a person sitting in this room that your relational baggage is so much that it's not, that it's beyond the reach of God and his grace. He has enough for you. He has enough to lead you toward health. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Remember we said, you will acquire baggage as you go through life, but you are not required to carry it. Relational baggage, because we're all connected relationally. How many of you have relational connections somewhere in life? That's all of us, right? Here's the frame of mind I'd love for you to have. Make it a carry-on not an entourage stack of baggage, okay? You will have relational baggage. Just make it a carry-on size. Process it often. Keep short accounts. Say, God, I need to work through this, and don't let it pile up that pretty soon it's these 20 bags of relational baggage. Make it small. Keep it manageable. Handle one at a time. Just you and God. God, this is what happened. Maybe with some trusted friends, this is what happened. Can you guys just help me deal with this and help show me the next steps to how to release this and not have it have a grip on my life? Here's what I'm going to invite you to do. Um, We're going to observe communion here in a moment, and we're going to worship with a couple more songs. So if you're new, that's kind of how we end. I'll come back up at the end, but I'm going to invite you in communion here in a moment. We've got two different stations, one over here and one over here, both by a cross. And here's the, the, the message, the, maybe the picture I want you to get in your mind. Is just, I want you to name it. To name what that relational baggage is. To bring it. And the best place to bring that is to the cross. Because Jesus died for that. He understands that. He knows what it is to be mistreated. He knows what it is to have someone walk out on you. He knows what it is to be abandoned. He knows what it is to be hurt, to be questioned, to be called on the cart. He knows what that is. And what he says is, bring it to me. I have something better for you. And so maybe as you take communion tonight, as we lean into worship, that you would make this a moment, these next uh, 15 minutes or so, just space for you to begin to process what is that relational baggage for me that I need to release and to let go that I might walk toward freedom to, to live free and to travel light. I want that, and I know you do. And so how can you begin to take steps with that? I'm gonna be over here by this one. If you want someone to pray for you, um, we'd love to pray for you. Maybe, Kimberly, if you could be over in this one. And just if you want someone to pray for you tonight, we'd love to do that and just honor you and to pray for you to help find those next steps. This is about coming to Jesus. It's about saying, look, I will acquire baggage, but I'm not required to carry it. I can name it, bring it, leave it, and exchange it for something better. And so, Father, I pray that we would be a people 
that understands in relational baggage issues and in struggles that we have in life, that we would be a people that, that say, we don't have to carry that. And that we would learn from the example of Joseph, who had so much that he dealt with. But somewhere along the way, he figured it out, how to release that. He figured out how not to have that have a grip on his heart, but to mourn and comfort that and to release that, to walk toward freedom. And so, Father, I pray for us that we would be a community and a people that the best we know how, when we deal with relational baggage and we deal with relational issues that come up, that we would keep it a carry-on size. We wouldn't let it acquire and just get bigger and bigger and more and more. We would keep it small. We keep short accounts with you and with others that we would learn to release that and to lean into the forgiveness that we, to stand in the foundation that we are forgiven and we can live in the flow of forgiveness, that it can flow through us. Father, you've forgiven us of so much. And I pray as we take communion now and as we worship you, that Father, these next few moments, you just, uh, we invite your spirit to, to move in our hearts, to remind us that we are forgiven. And we have been empowered to forgive, not in our own strength, but through the strength of Jesus. So be with us. Stir our hearts in these moments.